While most wouldn't have considered it a battle or a showdown, the British invasion of the mid-60s saw the Beatles and the Rolling Stones achieve superstardom only seen by Elvis Presley prior to them. The fact that these two bands could achieve such a level of success simultaneously put British music on the map for good. 30 years later, Britpop put England back at the top of the charts. This time, however, Blur and Oasis would become arch rivals in the march to the top of the charts. Eventually, Oasis would see beyond massive success worldwide. In truth, though, Blur was the band that started the movement and saw massive success in the UK before Oasis even appeared on the scene. Six months before the release of Oasis' Definitely Maybe, Blur saw their first top five hit in the UK with Girls and Boys. It was a turn toward disco club pop that was a new sound for the band. Playful, cheeky, and catchy, the song catapulted Blur to superstardom. While most people will know the band for their anthemic hit, Song 2, Girls and Boys cemented the sound that Blur would be known for. Today on Hidden Jukebox, the real winners of the Battle of Britpop, Blur's Girls and Boys. Now, I think something that uh, that occurred to me as you were giving the intro is, like, compared to OAS, so, like, we, we both watched the documentary This Is Pop, uh, the at least the Britpop episode, which is on Netflix, and uh, I recommend it. Um, and the thing I realized is, like, at one point, like, they, they have, like, Oasis fans and Blur fl- fans, like, slagging each other using, like, stereotypical, uh, like, digs at the other band. And one of the Blur fans says that all Oasis songs sound the same, which is kind of true. It is. <laughs> and, and like, this this is, this does sound to me like, like, a, like a classic Blur song, but, like, Blur made a wide variety of different songs. And, and I was going to start by saying, admittedly, when I wrote this intro, I'm like, yeah, this this really captures Blur's sound well. And then I really started digging into their catalog again, and it's hard to pigeonhole them into any sort of sound whatsoever. They yeah. do so many different things. And Oasis really did one thing well. Like they wrote rock songs and then Wonderwall. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and to the extent that like by the time Oasis was like had like jumped the shark and released Be Here Now and sort of stopped being relevant in in 97 and became like a greatest hits act, Blur was like, let's do a grunge song and see how that goes and had their biggest like, you know, their their worldwide claim to fame will always be associated with that one song. And, and it's funny because Damon Albarn at one point was I I don't remember the exact quote, but basically said it if if they get labeled as grunge then they're going to completely change what they do because they didn't want to be any way associated with that yeah no it was clearly like a uh, like a grab for for like relevancy like you know if everyone's talking about grunge we're going to be so, we're going to be the grunge killers right we're going to be the killers no no <laughs> not, <laughs> not even close um i want to start out by uh reading the lyrics to the chorus because okay please do. For, for years i i'm like oh it's just girls and big boys and, 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 and <laughs> i had the same experience yeah, and, yeah. And, and, but it's girls who want boys who like boys to be girls who do boys like their girls who do girls like their boys yeah that's really catchy and clever it's, yeah it's pretty good it, it's it's like I think what he's doing is is making a comment on kind of the androgyny of the early mid nineties. 
Yeah, and um, like it was, it was interesting because like as I re- read this, I'm like, is there is there something like a little bit homophobic about this song? And I don't know the answer to that, but I was I was kind of reassured when I saw that that Pet Shop Boys had done a very successful cover of it. Yeah, um, I don't take it as that. Yeah, like, I, don't, like, I don't. I don't think so. Like I said, it's like playful. It's yeah. it's cheeky. I don't think that he was. He even says he wasn't really trying to do anything except write like a disco club song because he and his girlfriend uh, at the time were going to clubs a lot and they're like, well, we could write a club banger. Yeah. Um, what, what was her name? She Justine she, Frischman yeah. from uh, Elastica. Well, and, and she was also in Suede when they first started, right? right? Yes. So, so Britpop in general um, was kind of four bands. Okay. Uh, it it was. Let's see. Blur, if we agree on what these four bands were: Blur, Oasis, Pulp, and Suede. Yeah, and that's that's really kind of dumbing it down to let's just lump these bands together. They were all very different bands, and there were certainly many many other bands that could be categorized as Britpop. Oh sure, but but these were the four that became really really big in, in England and kind of created this whole scene yeah i mean i think like retrospectively if i had to you know like everyone involved says you know like Britpop was was like a marketing term and like there was no no never really such a thing it was just like a bunch of bands that happened to be british and popular at the time which is true but if i were going to try and sum up the genre it would be rock music where they're not trying to hide their british accents (laughs) right right um (laughs) and and part of what i wanted to discuss here was Oasis became hugely popular everywhere in the world. Yeah. And especially in the in uh, Mud Blaisdell dormitory at Pomona College <laughs> in 1994 where there was one one guy who would not shut up about them. I don't know if that was you or somebody else. <laughs> it was it was somebody else. I okay. thought they were fine. I'm, I'm like I don't remember you being a huge Oasis fan. I didn't really know Blur in the 90s. They they just weren't they were on my radar, but until Song Two came yeah, same out, here. I I just I had heard Girls and Boys, but I couldn't tell you who it was by. Yeah, they just didn't make a splash in the United States. It's I I don't want to make it sound like it's not an accomplishment, but it's easier to become a platinum selling band in England because what they consider platinum album or song, I think, is only a hundred thousand units. Yeah, something like that. But I mean it's also a small country. <laughs> yes, it is. Um so the whole battle of Britpop what was between Oasis and Blur and it wasn't even this song. It was Blur's Country House. Yeah. Which is a very silly song. Yeah, like like, I, like I I listened to it, I'm like I must know this song, right? I don't. I had definitely heard it before, but like the the idea, like that 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 was the song that participated in like the greatest uh, uh, chart battle of modern times. Like that is that is a very goofy song. And and what was Oasis's song? That it was, was "Roll with It." Right. Uh, also, not a very good song. Not one of their best songs. No. Um, and and so I was sure that that at the end of this story, Oasis was going to come out on top. But nope. But I remembered that Blur was the winner. Blur Blur was just really, really popular during their heyday in in England and incredibly prolific. They I think they put out either four or five albums in five years. Yeah. It it was a lot of writing it in their early career. And they're still around today. 
The, yeah, they did an album in like 2018 or something. I think it was right? 2015, 2015. The, the Magic Whip. Yeah. But, but they're not broken up. They're on hiatus right now, and they've never had different members. There was one point where I think Graham Coxon left the band yeah. during a tour. But they he's made a ton of solo albums, some of which are very good. I really like the album Happiness in Magazines. Is is he the cheesemonger? No, the cheesemonger is Alex James. Alex that, James. Uh, yeah, if you look up... Um, uh, they they interviewed him like they got they got the less well known members of Blur to uh, to interview for the uh, for this is pop uh, and so Alex James now like lives like you know out in the country and uh, and is a cheesemonger if you look him up on Wikipedia it says um, let's see musician cheesemaker media personality yeah, cheesemaker not cheesemonger those are different how are they different <laughs> a cheesemonger is someone who runs a cheese shop. Oh, and a cheesemaker oh, is someone it. who makes the cheese and sells it to the cheesemonger wholesale. Got it. Like the cheesemaker is like, don't try and pretend that you're doing what I'm doing, right. cheesemonger. I mean, you're you could just be selling my a cheesemaker shit. and a cheesemonger, but very few have like completed the, uh, I was going to say trifecta, but that's only two things. <laughs> trifecta would be musician, cheesemaker, media personality. So, so it's the bifecta. The bifecta, yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the song a little bit. Yeah. Um, you you mentioned that you like the guitar work on this. I do, yeah. But it's to- totally not super guitar driven. No, it's it's very it's very synth driven because they were trying to do like a you know a dance club type of song. But it gets so much out of very little guitar. It does. Like, like I want to sit down with my guitar and like take a look at this and like it is. If you are a mediocre guitarist like me, you can learn to play this whole song in about three minutes. Right. Right. Uh, the, and it's and it's very fun to play. Like, there, there's there's only the like strange turnaround during the chorus that that goes to like a flat two. Yeah. Here we are nerding out again. Yeah. Uh, and you said, what yeah. do I think? Do, of the, do, 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 do. Yeah. And you said, what do I think of uh, the bass? And this song could lend itself to like an ABBA BG style 70s bass line where it's just a simple octave thing. But. He's doing something really, really busy during it. Yeah, I like it. I I love it. Like, it's really, to me, what moves the song and makes it funkier and more danceable. Yeah. The bass line is is critical. And and other than that, it's a really simple song. There's, There's not really a bridge. They kind of... There's sort of the bridge. There's sort of like a part where they do the chorus, but without the vocals. And uh, remember when we talked about uh, um, the bends and talked about on uh, how on my iron lung uh, he uses a, a peg Digitech whammy pedal to get the like underwater guitar yes. sound. Same thing on the chorus of, or, or the bridge of the song where it's going. Yeah. Um, the, it's clear that they were writing a song that could be played in a club. Yeah. And like. You know, the whole idea of club songs is keep the beat going, keep the music moving. Don't make anybody like turn their head and go, wait, what's the song doing now? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But they did the same thing with song two, which is not really a dance track, but but is also like super economical, like two minutes long. We get in, we do a couple of verse, a chorus, we get out. And then I, I recommend to everybody to listen to this entire album, Park Life, because it starts out with this song and you're like, oh, okay, so it's going to be a dance album and not a single other track on the album is like this, really. No, I feel like Park Life is very uh, like Village Green Preservation Society influenced, right? You, you totally lost me there. What the hell is oh, that? Oh, the, the Kinks. Oh, oh, okay. Yes. 
that is what they're doing. Like, both, both lyrically and uh, and musically. Yeah, the the Kinks were. What what was their big hit? You really got me. And Lola, they, they had a bunch yeah. of hits. Yeah, but the stuff that they're known for is extremely mainstream sounding. And you listen to Kinks albums, and they were really all over the map in what they did. Yeah, they they were very psychedelic at certain times. They were big influences on the Beatles, and they were big influences on Blur. Yeah. Um. So you said we have to talk about pulp. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I almost want to pitch that we should do common people next time, uh, just and have just this be our our uh, Britpop bifecta, uh, because, uh, like I think Britpop is is like if people remember like that there was a Britpop battle at all in the U.S. It was Blur versus Oasis, but then like in '95. The Stone Roses were going to play Glastonbury, and one of the band members like broke his collarbone, and they needed a substitute at the last minute. And uh, Pulp, they they hired Pulp to do it, and Pulp played like one of the most legendary sets in British pop music history, and like became superstars instantly. And that that was like, and then that right before they, or right 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 when they happened to be releasing uh, Different Class, which became uh, their biggest hit album, and I think ended up like selling. Uh, uh, more more than uh, than than any Blur album, maybe. It's possible. I one of the things I was looking into is uh, at one point, uh, Suede had the fastest selling debut album right. of all time in England, and I'm like, I don't think that that's still the case. No, probably not. Arctic Monkeys. Yeah. Uh, whatever people say you am that that say i am that's what i'm not whatever it's called yeah but i mean they talk about in uh like in the documentary about how like there was there was a real class divide between uh oasis and blur and that blur was from london and sang songs about country houses and oasis was from manchester and you know came from a working class background uh and uh, you know sang songs about I mean, to the extent that Oasis songs are about anything, <laughs> which was, they're not, you know, it was about like trying to trying to get by as like a, a working class lad. And then Pulp was from way further north than that. They were from Sheffield, which is like on the border of Scotland um, and uh, and saying like really like uh, depressing songs. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, Pulp is one of my absolute all time favorite bands. And like, you know, some of their songs are like rough to get through because like they really go there in a way that I don't think Blur or Oasis really ever do. Which is funny because Oasis was from slightly north and were trying to go there. Like they were trying to be dark and like more working class. And then Pulp was even more north and were even darker than that. Like like it was this this class divide and i i find it funny that oasis was the one that became incredibly mainstream right because it's like the the antithesis of what they were going for yeah there is a wonderful document Let, let's do pulp next time can we just do common people next time well we can it's funny because the other thing that we were thinking about doing could not be further from that if we were what possibly was it? Trying. i don't remember uh walk by pantera oh right okay uh, let's do let's let's complete the Britpop bifecta and then we'll do Pantera okay. next time. I dig after it. that. So uh I don't think it's much of a discussion, but Damon Alburn after this or during Blur's career uh moved on to do gorillas for yes. a while. And st- and still does. And it's clearly a completely different thing. Like he was getting into hip hop, dance music, and well blur 
barely scratched the surface of popularity in the United States. Gorillaz obviously became massively successful. Like the only time I ever saw that band was with 17,000 people in an arena when they were headlining. Like they're, sure. they're huge here. And people just love bands made out of uh, cartoons. I, I, think that's part of it i mean the whole thing is a clever idea but again admittedly people love hatsune miku <laughs> lost me again all right D- damn it <laughs> uh again it, admittedly i i didn't even know that damon alburn was part of gorillas until probably their second album came out and then i'm like oh that's interesting that doesn't seem to make sense at all with this type of music, but I'll go with it. Yeah, I think like why I mean, Grills was successful. I think probably like, just because they had super catchy songs, but like in terms of like what uh, genre and uh, and arrangement, like they they were really in the right place at the right time. I think just like like just on the the crest of that wave of like you know uh, danceable hip hop influenced pop. Well, and it's funny because uh, Britpop didn't last. <laughs> A very long time no. in the grand scheme of things because the dance movement of, of the late 90s that was happening in the u.s also hit britain and like groups like the spice girls yeah and uh robbie williams and people like that yeah. started taking over british music and all of these other bands were left in the dust like you talking about oasis and be here now that album came out what a year and a half after the one of the biggest selling albums of all time, yeah. and and like didn't do anything at all. Yeah, I mean partly partly because like people are, were starting to move on from the genre, but also partly because that album isn't very good. No, it's not. Uh, but I was thinking about you know there there weren't many popular British bands before the British invasion in the sixties in the United States, and I'm like. Yeah, and then I feel like they faded out. I'm like, no, wait a minute. They didn't. No. They didn't fade out at all. They're, no, I, like the the 70s, like were were dominated by by British British and American rock. But like, well, but but like using the biggest names in rock music during the 70s, and it's like Zeppelin, British, mm-hmm. The Who, British, yep. Pink Floyd, British, Queen, British, Black Sabbath, like yeah. like they they dominated music during the 70s, and and then I'm like, okay, so what? led to Britpop in the 90s from the 80s and you had Culture Club, Wham, U2, The Cure, Depeche Mode, Duran Duran and then surprisingly one of the only groups that hit number one in the US and the UK, not a group, Rick Astley. Okay. Until you got to Rick Astley, I was going to say, like, it's it's interesting. Like, I didn't really put that together until you mentioned it, that, like, a lot of what, you know, what Blur especially was doing was, like, merging, like, the the very, like, purely, like, synth dance oriented, uh, like, synth pop of the 80s with 70s British rock. Yeah. Right? R- right. 60s um, and 70s. And I don't think that I don't think there was much thought put into that. Like I don't think they were purposely no. trying to do that at all. I think they were just doing their thing. Yeah. One other thing that I that I wanted to make sure that we mention is like this was this was like another like musical moment that in retrospect was like uh excluded female fronted bands uh in a way that was arbitrary and unfair. Well um and, and like some of that, like like you know, and I, I wanted to like call attention to like a few British female fronted bands at this moment that I think are really good. 
Um, like uh, Lush, I think is a fantastic band. I think all of their albums are, are worth uh, revisiting. They, they only made three records. They're all really good. Um, and uh, Echo Belly, who was, yeah. in, who was in, the, in the documentary, terrific band. Yep. Well, and Elastica yeah. um, was a fantastic dance band. Did Elastica only make one album? They, uh, it was either one or two. Yeah. But, I mean, they, they had a successful hit in the United States. Yeah. Um, and, and they were female fronted. So it was around, it's just, <sighs> Oasis just took over everything and dominated for a while. They're about to release a concert movie of their Nebworth concerts from 1996, mm-hmm. where something like 250,000 people showed up just to see this one band play. I mean, I think there's a lesson there in that maybe we've talked about this before. If you and I started a band and the main point of the band was that we hated each other, like we would make so much money. <laughs> is is that a formula? I maybe, like I mean that's the Kinks. Yeah. And and Oasis and probably some other bands. Well, I I'm not actually sure that uh Mick Jagger and Keith Richards like each other. I, are, are, oh, I, are you I sure know. that they're whether they're brothers or not? I I know that Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend hate each oh, other. Oh, and uh Roger Waters and and uh David Gilmore hate each other. Hate each other. Yeah. This, this is a formula for success. You're we, right. We we got to go for this. How do how do the DeLeo brothers from uh, Stone Temple Pilots do they get along? Uh, they got along great okay. apparently. Yeah, they they were totally fine, but they were actually brothers. Not that that, that means that you're forced <laughs> Wait, to like each other. Are you are you suggesting that maybe uh the uh, Gallagher brothers aren't actually brothers and it's and it's all an, it's like a white stripe style act? Uh, no, they look too much alike. I know they look exactly the same. <laughs> They're pretty much interchangeable. But maybe they had like face-off surgery. <laughs> uh, maybe five of our listeners got that, but I got that one. That, oh, come on, that was a popular movie. Th- that was. That I mean, was it wasn't. A- it wasn't actually about like uh, someone who poses as someone else's brother in order to have a successful band, but it could have been to to throw my girlfriend Lori under the bus for a minute. Um, for some reason, she tells me all the time that she loves my face off, and every time I hear it, I laugh. And, and I'm like, That's funny. I'm like, I loved face off myself. Uh, she is. She's gonna cut your face off and put it put it in a dish and then put it onto Nicolas Cage. It's uh, so good. Yeah, sleep um, with one eye open, brother. We we might have mentioned this a year and a half, two years ago when we did the Oasis episode, but. I, I want to come back to it because it, it's worth revisiting if nobody visited the first time. You can find on YouTube like five minute edit to get edited together uh, videos of Liam Gallagher making an absolute fool of himself yeah. in front of 100,000 people at concerts. And it's hysterical. Like that guy did not give a shit about giving a good performance whatsoever. There's also I'm sure I mentioned this at the time too. There's there's like a uh, you know cut together recording of I think it's Paul Stanley, not Gene Simmons, uh, just like uh, kind of uh, uh, hyping up the crowd at Kiss concerts, yeah, uh, and just saying like like first of all it sounds hilarious without the crowd noise, but also just he says the most ridiculous things. Have you seen the? It's now a series of them on YouTube. It's videos where somebody has taken out yeah. the song, and all all they're doing is creating the sound effects that would happen if the if the band was performing silently. Yeah, it is absolutely brilliant. 
Um, all right. Do we have anything else to say about about Blur? Uh, revisit their entire catalog. It they were an extremely talented, diverse band. Yeah, and and part of the reason that I wanted to do one of their songs, and sorry to everybody that it was not song number two. It's just. There's not much to say about that song. It's it's a rock song that goes woohoo. Yeah. They they play it at sporting events and that's about it. Yeah. No, it's like they got their their uh, Seven Nation Army moment. Like yeah. if you can have like a like a few se- recognizable seconds of a song that uh that it like pumps you up, like that's the dream, right? Right. Well, and, and if you can do that while having two brothers who hate each other. And, and so much the better. I I think one of the the lesser known members of blur on that documentary this this is pop mentions you know he never had a huge interest in being a rock star but they got their moment and they got their money and that's cool at least like yeah like i i'm happy that the band was able to do something huge at one point and then uh retire to making cheese yeah there was uh the a recent episode of song exploder the podcast not the netflix show uh had uh james mercer from the shins talking about new slang and it was really nice because he said you know like i think we've made a bunch of good songs but like i know that that if people remember the shins or think of the shins it's going to be the band that did that one song and i'm okay with that that it's a good song totally (laughs) right yeah i I mean there's there's probably hundreds of examples of that in music like yeah but a lot of times like people feel like they fucked up because like that's all they did actually that's true you can <laughs> this this is really a, an obscure one but you can find interviews with Janie Lane of Warrant at, <laughs> where, where, where he talks about how the song Cherry Pie completely ruined his life yeah I can understand that <laughs> I don't feel like, bad for him at all I like it's a great song. That shouldn't have ruined your life. <laughs> Is it a great song? <laughs> Go back and listen to Cherry Pie. Okay. Cool drink of water. Such a sweet surprise. <laughs> I'm no. I'm sure. Like Janie Lane, like like tries to recapture the ma- the magic by sitting at home and dropping a slice of pie on his crotch every day. <laughs> um, okay. Can I recommend uh, something I've been listening to lately? Yes, you can. From the '90s. Like oh. it's a '90s album that I'd never heard of, and somebody like on Facebook mentioned it the other day. I'm like, mm, okay, I'll listen to a song, and I fucking love this album. Uh, it's from a band called The Audience, which made one album in 1998, and it is just it's it's uh it's indie pop it is like soaked in hooks like i you know i listened to the album one time and had six of the songs stuck in my head the uh the performances are great and the the lead singer i later realized uh sophie ellis Ellis bexter went on to a very successful solo career in england and has one song that you have definitely heard even if you don't know the name called murder on the dance floor that was like her one big worldwide hit i i've heard of it but i don't think i could sing it right now um I keep getting this song stuck in my head that I'm not even sure that I love it, but I want people to check it out. Okay. It's it's probably been out for a, a, a few months now. Uh, have you heard Space Girl by Francis Forever? No. It's It's got like two separate parts to it. It's, at first, you it sounds almost like a 12-year-old wrote this song, and you're okay. like, this is really cheesy. And then I just find myself humming it. All the time, like in like a Daniel Johnston sort of way. In in like a I don't know. It's it's a female lead singer, and uh, the lyrics are kind of cute and and sound like they could have been written by a little kid. Okay. Um, but it's it's interesting songwriting because 
the song starts out light and poppy and then it gets to this slow dark outro that's that seems unrelated to the first half okay it's really really clever i like that idea and i I haven't checked out the rest of the album but the song is worth listening to okay all right space girl Uh, by francis forever space girl by francis forever all right i'll put it on after this show and, Um, and you can too so, uh, check us out, uh, hiddenjukebox.com, facebook.com slash hiddenjukebox, instagram.com slash jukeboxhidden. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, yeah. tell your kittens. Tell your tell your girls who are boys, tell your boys to do girls. <laughs> and what el- whatever else whatever, that is. Whatever you, want, whatever you want to do, as long as it's consensual, we're, we're in favor. Uh, and uh, until next time, I'm Matthew Amster Burton. And I'm Jake Amster.